are on the line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on FoxSports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7500. Happy Wednesday, everybody. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Number to call 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. Find us on Twitter. Station Twitter handles right here at ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports 983. Lance, how you doing today, my man? Doing great, Noah. How are you doing? Well, I just had a bit of a crisis mentally because I realized that I didn't start the show off with you are on the line. I started the show off with Happy Wednesday. That is the first time since the beginning of this this show, since the genesis of On the Line, that is the first time I have not opened a show with you are on the line. Dang, dang. Comes on my 90th episode, and yes, I've been counting. This is my 90th show. That's we're cool. Get, we're You're getting, 10 away. Yeah, I'm 10 away from the 100th episode, and it's going to happen right about the time that we roll into uh, football season. Really excited about that. Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you for the Wednesday edition of On the Line. Intern Sting behind the board. Sting, how are you today? I'm doing great, Noah. I'm happy to be here. Glad to see you behind the controls yet again, back for another semester. How's campus been? Is it weird? Is it what Christian Clemente was saying on monday yes we had him on monday was it like what he was saying is it kind of back to normal yeah there's a lot of people it's a relief i think just to see so many people back out in the street again um i i think we're we're getting there and it's 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 a nice it's nice to see how hard is it to get food because i was talking to, to one of my friends he he's he's a freshman this year and uh he ordered something from like the student center like starbucks or somewhere like that and it literally took over an hour for them to get his coffee i'm not sure about starbucks because i don't actually drink coffee but i know that it's impossible to get food from chick-fil-a in the student center i mean it takes an hour at least whether you order online or actually go in the line that is because of the emergence of people ordering on apps yep it has ruined that one i was still in school Obviously, before the pandemic occurred, I was still in school when that began to happen, when they began to offer those opportunities, and I quickly saw the logistical nightmare that it was for the food industry that swarms of students were like, I'm not going to wait in line, and they're going to you know, order an hour ahead. It, it, it is a nightmare. And then I'm over here like living in the dark ages and thinking, I'm not ordering using my phone. I'm going to go get in line. And then I wait in line for an hour still too, right? Not really, but for a long time. And so, yeah, it's a logistical nightmare. But with that being said, they opened a new dining hall on campus. So there are more food options than ever at Auburn University. I mean, you can still go to Foy for some stuff. They have this new dining hall over by that stadium parking deck, and then they still have everything going on at the student center, and then they have the wellness kitchen, and then they have the village dining. I mean, there's food everywhere on campus. And don't forget he the shouldn't food be trucks. having a hard time finding stuff. It's his fault he went to Starbucks. It's his fault. And then he also, yeah, mentioned the Chick-fil-A as well. It's, he said it was impossible yeah. to get food from there. Yeah, always. And then there's always the food trucks. That's right. I forget about the food trucks. There are food trucks at almost every corner on campus. Yep. Man, I miss it. I miss it a lot. I'm happy to hear that 
and my wife's still in grad school so I'm happy to hear though from from not only from her from you from Christian to hear that things are kind of going back to normal on campus and that vibe and that feel in the fall as football is in the air and excitement is mounting I'm glad to hear that things are kind of getting back to normal it's good to hear about that let's get into our first topic of the show today that is not food related not campus related three-man front yes three-man front was the show that put this out on their twitter account the other day and they they asked this question what game should alabama fans be most concerned with on their schedule and they put up three there was florida texas a&m and auburn miami was not included on that list those were the three teams and after i voted in the poll which i said auburn after i voted in the poll i saw overwhelmingly the favoritism was shown towards texas a&m it was like over 60 percent. i don't know if it's still at that point but at the time that i voted and there were a lot of people that had voted at that point heavy odds there were in favor of texas a&m and apparently bama fans of all three of those teams the team that they will say that they are most afraid of on that schedule is a&m even if they're not willing to admit that it probably should be auburn but lance i'm curious putting yourself in the shoes of an alabama fan what game should Alabama fans be most concerned with on their football schedule? Yeah, so like you mentioned, the three in the poll were Florida, Texas A&M, and Auburn. And when you go and you look at ESPN's FPI, I mean, those are three of the most difficult games on their schedule. They give A&M a 34% chance to win the game against Bama, Florida a 24.8% chance, Auburn an 18.7% chance, and then Miami, which was not included, an 18.8% chance to win. So when you look at those four teams, I think it has to come from one of those squads. And you and I have talked about our issues with A&M specifically because they bring bring in a, a new quarterback, new offensive line. Are they going to be able to keep up with Bama? Obviously, that defense is going to be able to do some really good things for A&M, but I just don't know if their offense has enough firepower to potentially get past a team like the Crimson Tide. But again, we just haven't seen Haynes King. But if I were an Alabama fan... I think my number one concern is either that Florida or that Auburn game, and I would lean towards that Auburn game for a couple of reasons. Number one, that Miami opener. Alabama has dominated historically over the past four or five seasons whenever, they're op- whenever they've opened up in a marquee matchup against a Florida State, a USC. They've dominated those type games. If I were an Alabama fan, I would be confident heading into that week one matchup. With Florida, because they're bringing in a new quarterback, and I don't think Florida's beaten them in the swamp. I think it's like since 2006, 2007. It's been a really, really long time. I would be confident heading into that game as well. A&M I'd be confident heading into because the SEC— They never lose. Right. The SEC seems to really hype up that matchup every year only for it to be a disappointment. I mean, since 2012, it kind of feels like CBS has been gearing for that A&M upset, and it it just hasn't happened yet. But the Iron Bowl— I mean, if I'm a Bama fan, I'm worried heading into that game every single year, regardless of the record with the two teams. I wouldn't be concerned if it was in Bryant-Denny because Auburn has not had a good track record in Bryant-Denny really in the last 20 years or so, or really in the last 10 years. Now you look at that 2010 win. I think that was the last time Auburn won in Bryant-Denny was in 2010 in the comeback. It has not been a good trip to Bryant-Denny. It's typically a blowout. But on the other side of that, it isn't in Bryant-Denny this year. It's in Jordan-Hare Stadium, and that's a location that Alabama has lost the last two times in a row to Auburn at their place. Yeah, and you talk about Bryant-Denny Stadium, and this is to your point, but I believe since it, it moved from Legion Field... Auburn started out like 4-0 and and like 7-1 and overall in Bryant-Denny Stadium, but since Saban has got there over the past, what, decade or so, Alabama's taken like five straight there. And, the, and that, that, that 
Cameron Newton win was the only win that Auburn's had there in a very, very long time. So they've got a grasp on, on the Iron Bowl whenever it's played in Tuscaloosa. But like you mentioned, uh, Alabama struggled on the road in Jordan-Hare. And anything can happen. Even if Auburn has a bad year, if Auburn has a really good year, Alabama is prone to struggle at least for three quarters or so. We even saw that in the 2015 matchup with that Derrick uh, Henry team. I mean, they struggled for for over half of that game. It was like six to nine at halftime. It was still a one score game heading into like it might have been into the fourth quarter, honestly. But yeah, it it could definitely go either way whenever it's in Jordan Hare. So I'd probably say as an Alabama fan, I would be most worried about that Auburn matchup. Of course, Alabama fans don't want to admit that. Just like Auburn fans probably wouldn't want to admit that about the other side, but obviously looking at history and recent history, an Auburn fan would be more willing to admit, yes, that Alabama game is going to be the most challenging game on the schedule. That doesn't mean that it's not impossible to overcome because once again, you look at Alabama's last five years, last five seasons, Alabama has lost five games across those five seasons. These are the teams that they've lost to. They lost to Clemson twice. They lost to LSU once. And they lost to Auburn twice across that five, five-year span. Well, I look at the Alabama schedule. I don't see Clemson on it, so there's not a problem there. And I look at this schedule and I see LSU's on it, but it's in Bryant Denny Stadium, and I think Alabama should cruise in this ball game this year. I like this Alabama team a lot more than LSU. Typically, they do cruise against LSU. That's typically a very bad matchup for LSU. Like Alabama a lot in that game, but then I look at. What is, according to the trends right now, what is aligning? And I'm not saying that Auburn's going to beat Alabama at home this year, but what is on this schedule? What's on this schedule is a game in Jordan-Hare Stadium. And like I said, there's no Clemson. And the loss to LSU obviously was in Bryant-Denny a couple years ago, but there's no Joe Burrow at LSU right now. There's no there's no, uh, you know, Clyde Edwards-Alaire and Jamar Chase and Terrace Ferguson. Those guys aren't there anymore. It's a different LSU football team. Stars are not aligned in the bayou anymore, you know. But at Auburn, and I'm not saying Auburn's going to do it, but if, if you were going to be most concerned, I just thought it was fascinating how skewed it was towards Texas A&M. And that's the team that Alabama handles every year, it seems like, easily. Yeah, you look actually, uh, I'm looking at the Twitter poll right now. It finished with Florida at 13.7%, Auburn at 32.3%, and then Texas A&M at 54%. That was the, 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 that was the uh, final numbers from that poll from Three Man Front on Twitter. Well, that actually equalized a little bit more because Auburn was a dead last on that list. Folks were a little bit more when I voted in it, so that actually came together a little bit better. But yes, of those three teams, going back to what we were discussing there, I think it would have to be Auburn in yeah. that in that situation also just breaking down the squads Florida's still going to be trying to figure out things from an offensive standpoint between Emory Jones and his new crop of receivers they only bring 10 total starters back Texas A&M at the time that they play yes it will be at A&M and we had Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports on the line with us yesterday and he actually said that A&M was the game that he would be most concerned about and a big part of that is that defense it is going to be a good defense and maybe that will give Alabama trouble and maybe that will keep it somewhat close but I do not trust the A&M offense to be able to keep up from a points perspective with what Alabama should be able to score in that ball game I don't care how good the A&M defense is honestly Alabama should still be able to put up 28 or 30 and I don't trust that I, I, I think if you hold Alabama to 28 or 30 you did well I go back to the five games that Alabama has lost over the last five years. The average score is 39 to 29. That's the average score. 
So Alabama's still getting theirs in terms of points on the scoreboard. They're just not stopping the other team. This Alabama defense is a lot better this year, I think, than we've seen over the last couple of seasons. Pete Golding's got a really talented bunch and an experienced bunch. I'm not expecting Texas A&M to be able to score with them. So then you get to the Iron Bowl. And I think you're looking at a very defensive contest there. And of course, for the same reasons that maybe A&M couldn't keep up and score with Alabama, sure, Auburn may not be able to keep up and score with Alabama. But one thing can be said, weird stuff happens in that stadium in odd years when you've got Alabama at home. Yeah, absolutely. And then on top of that, yeah, we, we've kind of been on and off about Bo Nix over the past couple of days, right? Just for me personally, just kind of making sure that we're aware of what's going on in fall camp. I'm not, I'm not calling for concern or anything like that. I just want to make sure that the, the coaching staff and everybody is aware of what's going on. But to look on the positive side of things with Nix, he has been really, really good at home. He doesn't make mistakes at home. So in that game with Bo Nix heading into his third season with another full year of experience heading into that Iron Bowl matchup, I would be optimistic because Nix just has not made mistakes at home. Let's switch this over to what games should Auburn fans be most concerned with on their schedule? I think there are four games that you could potentially look at uh, there that ESPN's FPI say should be difficult matchups for Auburn. Penn State, Georgia, Texas A&M, and Alabama. Penn State has a 61.5% chance to win their game against Auburn. Georgia has a 63.2% chance. A&M has a 78.7% chance to win their game against Auburn. And then Bama has an 81.3% chance to win against Auburn. If I'm an Auburn fan, I think it's very similar to what you're looking at at the Alabama side of things. Like I'm concerned because anything can happen in the Iron Bowl. If I'm Auburn, I'm optimistic about that game. Obviously, it's concerning. If somebody said the Iron Bowl is the most concerning game to me, I would completely understand. But I would also like to take a look at the Penn State and the Georgia matchups. I think those two games, if I'm an Auburn fan, I'm concerned about because Bonix has struggled on the road. That is a very hostile environment in Penn State. And you look at Georgia, Auburn's had issues with them for a couple of decades now. And they've really struggled to, 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 to capitalize at home against the Bulldogs. Right now, for me, I would say it's that Penn State. No, I would say it's, I mean, it's that Georgia game. Then Penn State is a close second, simply because Auburn has struggled at home against Georgia over the past few seasons. And in order for Harson to kind of win over the fan base, he's going to need a win like that. And I just don't know if Auburn can get it done. So in terms of concern, I think the Georgia game is my number one. I think if you look at that Georgia matchup and you divide the the points per game, you, you get the points per game average up, that'll tell you a lot about the matchup because right. you look at the last five matchups between Auburn and Georgia, Auburn has averaged eight points per game against Georgia. That's absurd. It's bad. <laughs> That's pretty bad. I mean, you go back to 2016, seven points. You go back to 2017, they scored well see I messed that up because I, I I'm looking at this and I'm I'll say this in the last five losses to Georgia yeah excluding the breakout game in 2017 when they thumped them 40 to 17 Auburn averaged eight points per game in the losses eight eight, eight yes points. in the losses Auburn yeah. averaged eight A touchdown now and they an had the point. win mixed in there where they scored 40 so I should add to that I, I accidentally overlooked the 2017 win but it, that they averaged eight 
in the loss. I mean, that that is that is abysmal, and that needs to change. I will tell you mine, which is unconventional, in just a moment. You, th- this is going to bother you a little bit, but it is unconventional, and I'm looking forward to explaining it. But first, let's go to the phone lines now. 334-321-1390. Ed's on the line with this. Ed, how you doing today, my man? I'm doing pretty good, guys. How are y'all doing? We're doing really well. What's on your mind? Uh, I just wanted to – is that – who is uh, – who is over your programming there now? Uh, well, we still have uh, Zach Blackerby here at ESPN 106.7 as the station manager, as well as Steve Witten as our general manager here. Okay. All right. I was just wondering. Listen, uh, as far as – I hate to call y'all's show complaining about another show, but I just want to ask you, if I called you and said – about three, four weeks ago, you know, and I said, people in, when, when it first came out, Texas and Oklahoma, and I said, you know, hey, I've talked to some people in Texas that said the, uh, the Brockmire twins, uh, you know, going to Texas was a big deal with people out there, you know, but I know it's all about money, but that, that rubbed some people the wrong way. And then I called the rascals. Daryl and Daryl this, this morning and uh, a little while ago, and what I tell them is, and I made it very clear. Now you just tell me what you would say after it, and I'm gonna, but now I'm gonna tell you what they said after it. I said it's absolutely all, you know, before I say anything, it's all about money. It's all about that, and that's, you know, absolutely everything. That that's that's what's driving everything. But some people in Texas uh, really got chafed, you know, last year when, uh, you know, uh, Bama got the Brockmire twins, the, the two, you know, top, the top offensive linemen and right. the twin brothers. But, uh, all right, you know, but it wasn't only that, you know, I, I said his, his, his dad, you know, was all, you know, all American played, you know, his mom went to uh, Austin, you know, UT. And then they come back and said, well, once they're like, you know, well, you know, and it, all it has to do with me, it has nothing. And they said, and one of the guys, I think it's Daryl, I think Daryl's kind of the intelligent one there, but he, you know, he's like, so it's, uh, that was the straw that broke the camel's back. I said, yeah, something like that. You know, I, I said, I don't know. There was a lot of straws. But this had, it had something to do with it, you know. People out there had told people I know. And, and then I'm not talk, talking about, okay, you say, who does Ed know? All right, after I talked with them, Feinbaum was talking about this, and you know. And he came out and said the exact same thing. And, and they come back and act like that I said that it's all about. I mean, y'all need to get them jokesters off the air, really. I am so sick of them. Thank you. And, and, and the other thing, I called another day when Alvin Briggs was in, yesterday when Alvin Briggs was in there, and I was telling them about a transfer. I said, something's going to happen, and it will happen. Believe me, the, the, the United States, you know, the Supreme Court doesn't have anything to do. I mean, they do. They oversee the NCAA, 
but they also oversee kids that are in high school and, and that are in grade school and anything else that's going to happen to, you know, people. And so the, the idea that, that they're, it's not going to affect high school. And I told him about this player. This player was a basketball player that he transferred. And they, oh, you're talking about the player. Y'all said, no, no, about the player that went to Ohio State, quarterback. This is a player who transferred to another high school just to get into a state where he could do the NIL just how he wanted in high school, in high school. And it's going to come to Alabama. But thank you for taking my thought. Hey, and I'm getting on some new blood pressure medicine, so I'm going to be better. <laughs> Ed, it was good to hear from you, my man. All right, thanks, man. And, uh, hey, I, I love y'all's show. Uh, uh, y'all, y'all, just tell Zach that, that done it. All right. See you, Ed. That was Ed on the line with us. Lance, anything to add? Yeah, I think as far as what he was saying about Texas and Oklahoma coming to the SEC and in terms of like maybe the Brockmeyer twins coming to Alabama because it's 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 a money thing, I I, I would agree with it. And in terms of in terms of Oklahoma and Texas making the move, I mean, obviously they're going to make a lot of money from this move. So, yeah, I would say that that's probably the biggest thing. Sure. And there's a lot of opportunities at Alabama as well from an NIL perspective. And I didn't totally follow him on what he was saying about the Ohio on the Ohio State spot. That's not – me saying that I don't really disagree with him or anything. I was just having a hard time following what he was saying when he was talking about the Ohio State spot. Um, but if he's talking about Quinn Ewers, the guy that went into the Ohio State program recently, just reclassified and came down, I do think that that is odd that Quinn Ewers has reclassified and gone to Ohio State at this point. It definitely seems like it's about NIL right. and, and, and money trickling not only into the college game, but I've brought up the point, how does this affect the high school game? And to see a kid give up his senior year and reclassify and go into the Ohio State program – where I don't think that he's going to play. And I said yesterday, I'm not so sure if he's going to finish his career in Ohio State because I think C.J. Stroud is someone that you can ride with long-term. If he's okay with waiting for a couple of seasons, then maybe he will. But we just have seen this guy just reclassified out of high school. He's obviously he's ready to get going. Right, and you and I have speculated on the show before, What, like you just said, how does it affect the high school game? Like, at some point, will high school kids be paid? Well, as of right now, that that's not allowed. So there, it, guys like yours are going to transition to the collegiate level simply, simply because they could potentially get paid as a backup. So as in terms of, like, yours and his move, I don't necessarily think it's a bad decision because, if you, if you, like you said, if you're willing to sit on the bench for two seasons, get some money from NIL, and then transfer to a program where you can start or wait until you can start at Ohio State. It's a good move. Let's take a quick break here. When we come back, I'll tell you what game Auburn fans should be most concerned with on their schedule. We'll be back. You're listening to On the Line. Wednesday edition of On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 1067 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Keep up with all of the content the show is putting out on RadioAlabamaSports.net. And on the Radio Alabama Sports Facebook page, followed on Twitter as well at Radio AL Sports. Also find it on Instagram. A lot of great content there. Once again, that's RadioAlabamaSports.net. High school sports getting started tomorrow. It's a great location for high school sports content, especially locally here. Auburn High School stuff can be parked on there on RadioAlabamaSports.net as well as ESPN 106.7 and the W. Lee and other websites here in our 
family of stations at Auburn Network, as well as Lee Scott Sports Network content on AU 100, 100.3 FM. That's another sister station of ours, and that's where our high school football season starts tomorrow at Chambers Academy. Yeah, absolutely. So tell everybody again, just real quick, I believe you're going to be doing the play-by-play for that game. Tell everybody where they can listen to you. All season long, 100.3 FM, that station called AU 100 on the Lee Scott Sports Network or the home of the Lee Scott Sports Network, as well as you can watch the games on the Lee Scott Sports Network Facebook page. I'll be doing play-by-play all season long as well into basketball and baseball season. Really looking forward to the start of high school football tomorrow, as well as I pre-recorded an interview with Lee Scott football head coach Buster Daniel, a local uh, a local product here. Used to coach at Opelika, also coached at Valley right down the road, and then as well as now the head coach at Lee Scott Academy. We got a pre-recorded segment with him tomorrow talking about the team and talking about the growth of the squad and also previewing that ball game so looking forward to that segment that is called talking ball with buster daniel tomorrow <laughs> I'm, I'm looking forward to it buster is a, a great football coach a great man and um just a really good i always have a really good time talking to him so looking forward to that conversation that we have with him tomorrow a couple of minutes here in this segment before we get to our first interview of the show today it'll be barry mcknight play-by-play announcer on the troy sports radio network we're going to talk to him about what's going on with troy's fall camp just like we talked with jd byers last friday about what's going on with south alabama looking forward to that conversation with barry mcknight coming up after our break in just a few moments but i want to wrap up our conversation here about what game should auburn fans be most concerned with on their schedule and i took this from a different approach than I did with Alabama Alabama you look at it and you're like all right where's the loss who is that loss going to be Auburn I think we're all expecting there's going to be a handful of losses here I said Akron I think Akron is the game that Auburn fans should be most concerned with at this moment all right Bama fans it's a little bit easier to be like yeah maybe it's not Miami because you feel a little bit more confident but I'm saying Akron not because I think Auburn will lose obviously not and not because I think it'll be close but I hate those games where you go into it you're like this should be a blowout because it it creates this element where you walk in and Auburn doesn't perform to that level you leave disappointed but if Auburn does perform to that level you're like yeah we should have done that so you don't really learn anything right an Auburn fan's worst nightmare at this point should be that Auburn goes into that Akron game and they look bad and that they don't play well and that the offensive lines let guys through and that really all Auburn could do was run the ball that they couldn't throw the ball and you're seeing issues like you did last year maybe new issues manifested that Auburn just kind of lays an egg in that first game that that should be an Auburn fan's worst nightmare at this point and honestly there's so much put on to this new coaching staff that first game a lot of it's about impressions and seeing truly how far this team has made in progressions yeah absolutely and and in terms of the way that this coaching staff is going to approach it, at least approach it. We don't know what the outcome is going to be, but that 1-0 mentality is what they've been talking about this entire offseason, just focusing on that first game and going out and executing. I agree with you. I think that's a really good game to choose because you look at Bo Nix, you look at the quarterback situation. If he's winning the game with his legs and they're controlling the ground game, but they aren't able to actually sit back there and throw, I, as an Auburn fan, will leave disappointed. I'll also be very concerned. Now, sure, it's game one, and maybe I should be more patient, but... Akron's horrible. On the other side of this break, you got Barry McKnight, play-by-play announcer of Toy Sports Radio Network, joining us. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. 
special guest joining us here in this segment we've got barry mcknight play-by-play announcer on the troy sports radio network barry thanks for taking the time to join us on the show today oh man it's great uh you can tell it's about that time i'm over here on the troy uh complex and we've got student athletes all over the place they've had team meeting just now about to head out to the practice field in a little bit where it's about 95 degrees right now and we're less than three weeks away from the start here we go and students are all over the place i'm sure that there's a really exciting vibe on the troy campus right now talk to me a little bit about this quarterback race which is turning out to maybe be one of the more interesting ones in the sunbelt going into this season especially when you look at troy being typically a major player in the sunbelt conference you got two guys coming back and gunner watson and jacob free but you also look at missouri transfer taylor powell coming into the program there's three guys that could play here what does this quarterback battle look like at troy going into fall camp well, right now, fall camp is one scrimmage in last weekend, and it has been boiled down to me to be a two-quarterback race right now between Taylor Powell and last year's incumbent, Gunnar Watson. They both have, they both have skill sets uh, that are a little bit different, but uh, certainly suitable to Chip Lindsey's offense. Uh, Gunnar, of course, a uh, strong-armed guy, was in the offense last year, got hurt late in the year, and that really set him and this team back. Taylor Powell is a graduate of Missouri. He graduated in just a couple of years, and he's got two years of eligibility here. Uh, the former Arkansas Gatorade High School Player of the Year, and he's really kind of a clinical guy, kind of a cerebral guy. He's one of those that, you know, after practice or first thing in the morning, will grab a coffee and go in and watch film with Coach Lindsey and, and, you know, the offensive staff. Uh, knows where the ball needs to go, makes good decisions. Right now, that two team, that that, that two quarterback race is too close to call. But with either of them, they certainly have the wherewithal to uh, to be successful in this offense, without a doubt. Speaking of head coach Chip Lindsey, year three for him going into it now, and there's been a steady improvement over these last couple of years. What has the program building process been like for Chip Lindsey through his first two seasons? Well, I can see the improvement for sure. I'm here every day, and you know, the practice field's just you know 20 yards past me here, so I see the improvement. The one thing that Chip has not had, to be quite honest, is luck. Uh, two years ago, the defense started, I want to say it was 21 different starting lineups in his first year with all of the injuries. Last year, COVID really played havoc with the team and with its development. Uh, and so this year, uh, it, it is a really important year Chip Lindsay, and I think one of the things that he has done behind the scenes that hopefully will play out well this year is he and his staff have really recruited well. They, they have stockpiled some guys defensively. It's the deepest Troy defense I've seen since I've been here, and this is my 20th year. Uh, there's, there's talent all up and down defensively where two years ago you were looking for somebody who could who just you know could backpedal and not fall over at some points during the season. There's a guy named Devin Barrett who's new on campus, just uh, transferred from Auburn after graduating, and he has already insinuated himself in a log jam in the cornerback room. But this year, the development of the program has been done the way it should be done. It's been it's been slow and it's been positive, and it has been done with a real influx of talent. There's there's five guys in the in the running back core that are legitimate guys. There's 
you know, an offensive line that has every starter back from last year. Uh, there's there's a lot of talent here. But again, what there has not been a lot of is luck. And maybe with some luck, some guys staying healthy, and what should be a really conducive schedule for success this year, maybe this will be that really bounce-through year for Chip Lindsey here at Troy. How have you seen him grow as a head coach? Because you look at it, he, he he's a state of Alabama guy. Played quarterback in North Alabama, coached at Auburn for a little bit, comes into the program with, with no prior head coach experience, and, and he's obviously learning on the job, probably still to this day, like we saw at Auburn with Gus Malzahn, and he only came in with one year of head coach experience. How have you seen Chip Lindsey grow as a head coach now going into year three? Well, some of it, he's like Malzahn in that he has had a lot of experience or had a lot of experience as a high school coach. He's been a high school coach at some big programs uh, in Georgia and Alabama, you know, like Malzahn had been as well. But but as you can imagine, uh, being the head coach in a uh, in a Division One football program has a lot more hands tugging at you, a lot more uh, things to say grace over. And that's really where he has evolved. He's a football coach. He is, you know, he's not a, a, you know, he's not a guy who's out all the time glad-handing donors and, you know, uh, making all of the rubber chicken circuit banquet things. But that's one of the things that he's kind of grown into. He has become more than just a really good offensive mind. He is... um, he has truly been a head coach. He provides a real direction now for the entire staff and for the entire program. And he is, of all of the different things that being a head coach at a Division One school requires these days, from management to, uh, you know, the NIL to, uh, you know, um, managing the transfer portal and everything else, the football stuff is top notch. The the knowing of the game and calling of the plays and understanding, you know, the personnel that needs to be out there is is really, really good. It's the other stuff around being a head football coach that I think he needed to evolve and he really has evolved a good bit. I want to go back to that offense for a second. Kalen Geiger, obviously uh, Troy's best receiver last season, transferring in May to Texas Tech. There are two other starting senior receivers on this roster for Troy that could potentially step up. Do you see one of those guys stepping up, or is there somebody else in this receiver room that could replace Geiger's production? Well, I'm glad you brought that up because there is there is one guy that they're going to be looking for for sure, and that's Reggie Todd, who transferred from Mississippi State. He's six five. He's about 215. He's been productive in the past as a uh, as a possession receiver along with Geiger. He will be the feature guy right now. But there's another name I want to throw out at you. He is a second-year freshman, and it's quite a story, fellas. His name is Tez Johnson, and a couple of things are interesting about him. I've interviewed him several times. Great kid. He's from Pinson Valley, uh, Pinson High School. Uh, he's 5'10". They have him at 160. Last year, he played at 147, and he was one of Bruce Feldman's uh, 101 athletic freaks that he featured a week ago on TheAthletic.com. He's really strong for a little guy. He can run well, absolutely fearless, and he is Bo Nix's brother. Yeah, he is... You know, I, I talked to him about that a lot during one of our podcasts. He, uh, of course, Patrick and and Krista took him into the home. He is legally adopted. Bo is, and and his brother Caleb over at Central High School. Um, he talks about about the impact they've had on his life and on his family. It's a great story, 
Reggie Todd is a known commodity. He he will be good. He has been good. But I think a guy who will really burst forward this year in a lot of different roles for Troy is going to be, remember the name, he's number 15. His name is Tez Johnson, and he's electric. Looking at this Troy football schedule for this upcoming year, tough but a fun non-conference schedule. You get to play Liberty. You get to play South Carolina. This is kind of a tougher-than-average non-conference schedule for some of these Sunbelt schools because you look around and in and, and south of Troy, you look at South Alabama, they're really playing a, a favorable non-conference schedule. Some of these Sunbelt teams aren't taking as many bye games. and Not saying that these two are bye games, but it is a tougher non-conference schedule than most times for a Sunbelt school. Take me through this schedule because it, it's not going to get that much easier in this Sunbelt conference schedule. Well, it's, it's, it's fun. It, it'll be a fun schedule, especially for somebody like me who all I have to do is broadcast it. I don't have to win any of them. Liberty in week two, you've already mentioned that one. Uh, Malik Willis and Hugh Freeze come down to Troy in week two, and that's huge that it's in Troy. They are all that. Neil Brown took a really good 10-win Troy team up to Liberty three years ago and lost. So they have our attention, that's for sure. Southerns miss on the road the next weekend. South Carolina on the first Saturday in October. I'm here to tell you that's a winnable game for Troy. They are in transition, as you well know, up there in Columbia. Not a great deal of talent, you know, still trying to establish that. That's a real opportunity. Now, the Sunbelt schedule is tough, as you mentioned. I agree. There are two ranked teams in the Sunbelt Conference in the preseason polls, and they both are on Troy's schedule, but one of them is at home. You look at the tough games on Troy's schedule in the league, Georgia, Southern, Louisiana, who's ranked, I think, number 23, Appalachian State, who's won the league, I think, four times in the last five years. All of those games are in Troy at the vet. The the one that is a really, di- really, really dicey one is a Thursday night game in late October against Coastal Carolina in South Carolina. If, if Troy can gain some momentum heading into, say, mid-October before they get into a two-game road trip, including that Coastal Carolina game, if they can get some momentum heading into that stretch, I think it could end up being a really memorable season for the Trojans. And you've seen the Sunbelt Conference emerge and grow over these years. You see TV deals come into it and more money being pumped into the conference. I'm looking at two Sunbelt teams ranked in the AP Top 25 and only one American mm-hmm. Athletic Conference team ranked. Is the group of five best conference, is it the Sunbelt? I think so. I, I surely do. You know, there was a there was a crossroads that the Sunbelt and Conference USA found themselves in golly, I guess it's been about seven or eight years ago now, where Conference USA raided some some bigger market uh, schools, you know, uh, Florida Atlantic and FIU from down around Miami and Middle Tennessee from the Nashville area. And, you know, and Troy was able to grab, in response, a Georgia Southern and an Appalachian State. What has happened is, is that Conference USA, their TV deal is not very good, even though they are in several big markets. And that was the difficulty they had. They were looking to expand, and they just simply considered markets. The Sunbelt Conference has really been good about considering footprints, and there's a big difference there. Uh, Appalachian State's a football school. Georgia Southern is a football school. Louisiana, Lafayette, Troy, all those schools, I mean, it is a football 
league with, you know, every school that's in that league has a real solid footprint where they are, and that's been a real help. What has been really interesting to me since Larry Blakeney's days here at Troy and in my 20th year now is when Troy really first started getting into the Sunbelt Conference and won five conference championships in a row under Coach Blakeney, you knew that there were several games that you could go into and you didn't necessarily have to play your best in order to win uh, and it, I'm just being honest. There were games you did not have to be, you know, seamless, and you could still expect to win. There is nothing like that anymore in the Sun Belt Conference. The facilities are better. The coaching is better. The support is better. The resources are better. And there's no question at all in the Sun Belt Conference that the talent is absolutely better as well. Barry, before we let you get out of here, I got one question to you that, that it's all of a sudden just slapping me in the face. Cornelius Williams coming from Troy. And I just realized, I was like, wow, yeah, there, there's the Troy connection there. And I would be remiss to not ask you about him. What is Auburn getting in their new wide receiver coach? Well, he's been uh, he's been a revelation here. You know, he, he played here. You know, he was used to success. He played at Hoover when they won all those championships. He was on those old two-a-day programs that they used to have on, I think it was HBO or something. So he is he is a guy who has always been used to success. He won, I think, seven championships in his high school and college career, and um, he's been used to that. He is an extremely hard worker. He's a great technician. He knows every high school football coach in the state of Alabama, I promise you. He's been a real dynamic, positive recruiter. And I was, you know, he lived about uh, four or five houses down from a great family, uh, high character guy. I-, I think Auburn saw what a lot of us saw that he is an absolute up and comer in the profession. And, um, I'm glad he's gotten that opportunity. There's no question he deserved it. Barry, we appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today. I hope you have a great afternoon. I appreciate it as well. Thanks for asking. That was Barry McKnight of the Troy Radio Network, the Troy Sports Radio Network, joining us here on the line. Excellent conversation there. And if you came into it halfway, you came into it three-quarters of the way, you make sure you go and check out the podcast wherever you get your podcast. That was an interview that you did not want to miss. Absolutely fantastic there from Barry McKnight, play-by-play announcer on the Troy Sports Radio Network. We're going to wrap up hour number one when we come back. Wrapping up the first hour of On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama 98.3 FM. Solid Wednesday edition of the show so far. Barry McKnight of the Troy Sports Radio Network with us in that previous segment. If you missed our conversation there with Barry, go and find the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or if you ever just want to catch us on demand, that's a great way to, to, to get the podcast. Lance, you are super impressed. Yeah, very, very well spoken. Incredible voice for radio. Uh, really, really awesome interview. We'll be going back to listen to that one. I don't, I don't go back and hit up the pod very often unless it's a special moment or I want to try and improve on something where I feel like I had a bad day. But that was a really good interview. I would encourage everybody to go to listen to it uh, after the show is over and the podcast is up. Let's take a listen to what's on TV tonight. All right, everybody, coming up on television this evening, game show lineup on ABC starting at 7 with Press Your Luck. Following it at 8, it's the $100,000 pyramid. The results of the second quarterfinals on America's Got Talent is on NBC at 7. 
Fox's evening lineup starts at 7 with Master Chef. Follow again at 8. Prepare for a particularly shocking episode of Beat Shazam. We all know those folks out there that just know the words to every song, know the name to every song, start singing when you say something that 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 was the lyrics of a song we all know those people and they would be perfect for watching beat shazam or not perfect maybe they would get annoying watching the show you never know new episode of guys grocery games is on food network at eight movie selections for tonight the parent trap is on freeform at six as if bringing back dinosaurs wasn't a bad idea let's build an amusement park around them jurassic world fallen kingdom is on fx at six live sports tonight just check out major league baseball on espn at six with the boston red sox at the New York Yankees. And the Yankees, I believe, took, I think they took control of their division, right? They're second in their division. They're the second wild card spot right now. There you go. Yeah. And the, and the, nobody's uh, catching the Rays. Yeah. And the Red Sox were like, at some point, they were like 50. They, they were, it was like 50 and 23 or something like that. Like they had a really good record and they've just kind of, they've fallen off a cliff. They've fallen off a cliff recently. Excellent. Excellent. No. Yes. Why no? I don't like the Yankees. Why? I'm not because a huge Yankees. Yankees supporter, but I'm not a Red Sox supporter either. I like the Red Sox because when I was I kind of like I to watch both David of them Ortiz. squirm. So, yeah. So, when I was younger, I would watch college football with my dad, and I would, we would turn to a game, and I'd be like, so who do you think is going to win this game, or who do you want to win? And my dad would be like, eh, I'd like to see them both lose. And I would hate it because it's like, I just want you to tell me. Now, whenever I see, like, Florida State versus Notre Dame, Boston Red Sox versus the Yankees, I'm like, if I could find somehow just find a way to see them both come out of this game as, like, a tie or a loss, I'd be okay with that. I'm Yankees over Red Sox any day of the week, uh, and it's because of the pinstripes. You can't beat the pinstripes. The jerseys look great. That That's the only reason. But I do like to see both of those teams squirm. I do not root for those two organizations. Dang but if it. I had to choose one, it's like Duke, North Carolina. If I had to choose one, if you're asking me to choose between two teams that I would rather see lose, you know, I, I'm taking the Yankees over the Red Sox. How are the uh, Astros doing? I believe the Astros are they're either second or third seed right now. The Rays are first because they've just been beating everybody they play. Um and the Astros are struggling now. I think they've lost two in a row now to the, the Royals somehow. For those of you Levi's that don't remember, happy. for those of you that don't remember, Sting is a supporter of the organizational cheating of the Houston Astros. Yes, I am. <laughs> yes, I am. And I mean, the thing is, it seems like the Astros can only beat good teams. So obviously, that means they're going to run through the playoffs and take home another World Series title. By the way, after you left, uh, I got an Astros shirt. Well, actually, I didn't get it. Uh, my my uh, my mom got it for me, and I was like, wait a minute. Like, she just left it at my apartment. I'm like, wait, where did this Astros shirt come from? It was just like in remembrance of Sting. It's like, there we go. Got an Astros <laughs> shirt for him. Awesome. Yeah, you're going to have to uh, wear it one day here in the studio. It's a little tight. Maybe in, in, in October. <laughs> yeah, sure, absolutely. To add to the chaos, though, Lance has changed his hat game yet again. He was wearing a Kentucky hat earlier in the week. Mm-hmm. He has now flipped to the other side of the rivalry. He is wearing a Tennessee hat. <laughs> Yeah, I don't. It, it, just to, to clarify, Where's the Arizona State sweatshirt. Yeah, you have reasons for all of why you bring it in. I, I respect the hat game. I'm just messing with yeah, you. I've got the ASU. I've got a sweatshirt. I've got an ASU hat. I've got Arizona uh, hoodies and hats as well. I've got I've got about half the SEC. The reason being is like I'll I'll if I visit an SEC town, I try to pick up a hat from the place just to feel like it's kind of like not necessarily a collectible, but you know I like to get it from the place instead of ordering it online. So I've got about half the SEC right now. I'm trying to make the rounds. We got a packed hour number two planned for everybody as well. So far in today's show, we've talked about what games should Alabama and Auburn fans be most concerned with on their respective schedules. 
as well as we spoke with Barry McKnight, play-by-play announcer of the Choice Sports Radio Network. And now we're number two. We're going to play another edition of In on the Fence or Out. Lance, I don't know, degree of difficulty here? I tried to, I tried to make you squirm. Yeah, I was about to say this may be the most difficult ones that really? you put together yet. Yeah, it's just like it's all teams that are just like very on very even playing fields. And then there's the, there's that one Notre Dame one where I can just like, oh, that's an easy L. <laughs> that was the easy one. Yeah, that was the easy one as well. So we'll start off our number two, bouncing around some headlines in the college football world. You have the NCAA investigating the Nebraska football program after a report saying the Cornhusker staff had properly used analysts and consultants. Man, even when they cheated, it was kind of lame cheating. And when they cheated, it didn't even help them. Scott Frost at 12 and 20 in the Nebraska program. We talk about that here on the other side of this break as well as we've got Zach Black with the Locked on Auburn podcast. Join us in hour number two. On the line, live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 106.7 or online on FoxSports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390. Or toll free at 888-382-7502. Hour number two of On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Fun show so far. Spoke with Barry McKnight, play-by-play announcer with the Troy Sports Radio Network, as well as talking about what games should Alabama and Auburn fans be most concerned with on their schedule? All that good stuff. Find the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio, as well as follow ESPN 106.7 on Facebook and Twitter to keep up the latest going on at the station, as well as Instagram. Between the Max Roundtable, On the Line, The Drive with Bill Cameron, Analysis, News, and more, seven hours of local sports talk radio. That's all on ESPN 106.7. Find the website on ESPN au.com gonna start off our number two same way we did yesterday making headlines our segment where we bounce around some headlines going on in the sports world today we will start off with texas a&m landing a commitment from a swedish tight end in the class of 2023 theodore orstrom and i'm looking at his 24 7 sports profile here six foot six 245 pounds on 24-7 sports, it says City Sweden and then Country Sweden, so <laughs> I don't think that that's right. But class of 2023, listed as a four-star recruit, 180 overall player nationally. Also, I don't know if you can say that because his national location is Sweden, but still, amongst United States players, even though he is not from the United States and is not playing the United States, he is listed as number 180 player nationally, number 15 tight end according to 24 7 sports number 14 according to their composite rankings and oh by the way he's listed as the number one player in sweden but if you were to go and (laughs) click on sweden he's the only player there so when they had that category for it on 24 7 sports i was like oh there are other swedish players like this is becoming a big deal no it's just theodore orstrom it's just theodore orstrom yeah i was looking at it uh during the break with you and i was like wait a minute sweden like they've got more than one player nope he's the only guy there no competition whatsoever alabama offered him which is wild yeah florida state offered him as well arizona state florida state florida atlantic georgia tech 
Kansas State, LSU, LSU, Minnesota, Ohio State, Oklahoma, and UCF. I mean, this was UC- a- UCF. Hold on, Gus Malzahn wanted some of that <laughs> oh, no. Swedish action. Yeah, just to uh, to convert him to uh, to tight end or defensive back or something like that, and for us to never hear from him again. <laughs> That's so accurate, though. Or quarterback. He's six six, two forty five. Dude, the next Cam Newton. <laughs> we let's had, go. Yeah, we had a guy like that. We had a guy like that listed at six six, two fifty. I mean, hey could see it happen i just thought that was a funny storyline i saw that i said wow that's that's noteworthy i don't know if other people saw that but a swedish tight end four-star commits to texas a&m they do play football in other places other than the united states are they good at it no how did they A&M find play. him how did they just be like oh by the way there's this, there's this kid in sweden that's actually pretty good at playing american football it's like oh let's take a look at him you know there's a football world cup and I'm about to Google that to get the official name, but I wonder if it's going to put up, see, it, it pulls up FIFA World Cup. No, I mean American Football World Cup. That's a real thing. And surprisingly, it's called the IFAF World Championship hmm. of American Football. The U.S. has the most titles at three, but if you go and look at results over the last several seasons, Japan has two other titles. There have been five IFAF World Championships. Japan has won two, and until the United States won it in 2015, the United States did not have the most titles. Japan won the first two, and then the U.S. won the last three. Dang. The U.S. realized they got to get their stuff together. I mean, like, hey, this is our sport. Let's bring in some Swedish The U.S. may have didn't start participating, though, until around that time. I, I don't know. I have no idea. I mean, that would be weird if they weren't participating. I was like, yeah, we made this sport, but we won't participate in the world's league for it i actually don't think that they participated in those first two years in 1999 and 2003 but then they participated since that point Hmm. and they're winning they are winning 2019's was postponed to 2023 for whatever reason and that will be played in australia it looks like a lot of like college players that aren't significant like i think there was a colorado quarterback that nobody will know the name of that started for one of these teams a couple of years ago like it's like washed up players in college that end up or are not top tier players in college that go and play this thing but i did think that was interesting to note if people didn't know that there is an american football world cup that's kind of cool speaking of washed up college football players i saw a headline the other day do you remember uh zeb whatever i forget his last name the quarterback from iowa state in 2016 um zeb noland he's still playing college football he's on south carolina's roster like he he's playing college football with south carolina and they like sign him and everything and they've like got him on roster as you can tell everybody we have lance Dahl, the sports almanac <laughs> on the show with us today i just bringing up old 2016 iowa state quarterback zeb noland and lance just <laughs> discovered him randomly in his free time on the South Carolina roster. I just I saw I saw it on Twitter and I was like, wait a minute, Zeb Nolan, he was playing like he committed in twenty fifteen and I went and I looked, I'm like, oh my goodness, they've got him like at number twenty five, which Levi would not be proud Hold of. Hold on, this just got deeper. This just got a lot deeper. You remember what year this guy committed yeah, to Iowa State? Hang on, let me pull it up. <laughs> so now not only is he sports almanac Lance Dahl, he is Iowa State recruiting connoisseur Lance Dahl. Yeah, uh, he committed uh, December of 2015 to Iowa State. He was the backup to Trey Lance at North Dakota State, by the way, um, which was interesting. And now he's uh, he's at South Carolina. Ah, uh, see, what we there there was a story on ESPN about it that he was apparently oh, getting okay. elevated as well. So there you go. That was just shown to me by intern Belichick, which that will be your official intern name now, Brady. 
as he wears hoodies often and his name is Brady. So I said, all right, the irony, we will call him intern Belichick. So thank you for showing me that that was brought up today. I actually saw that and I didn't pay any attention because I saw graduate something and didn't know the name and I was like ah whatever it's South Carolina's quarterback position that's not going to be very good regardless so I would start Zeb I'm not I'm not even kidding like he's bet he's better than Luke Doty I'm not kidding like straight up I think I think at some point we'll see him this season other news going on that is not Swedish football related and Texas A&M the crossroads internationally the great the great intersectionality of Texas A&M and Sweden with Theodore Orstrom (laughs) We're going to move along. The NCAA is investigating the Nebraska football program after a report said Cornhusker staff and properly used analysts and consultants with the knowledge of Scott Frost. On top of that, the report also alleges that, or there is a report that alleges that Nebraska relocated its strength workouts to an undisclosed off-campus location to avoid detection by non-football school officials. That being said, during the pandemic so that they could continue to work out and whatnot this report and you can go and read about it the action network brett mcmurphy reporting on it yeah they were trying to hit the grind without nobody knowing they're like forget this covid stuff we're out here working out man well earlier in the show i said this as we were going to the the top of the hour break i said look this is kind of like lame cheating this isn't like (laughs) you you shelled out money in mcdonald's bags like tennessee this wasn't like you were getting recruits this didn't even help you win nebraska stinks yeah, it, Sting made a really good point during the break. It, it, it explain, explain Nebraska right now as a program. Well, I'm fact-checking Frank Solich's records at Nebraska, but I believe they let him go. It may have been after one bad year, but he was a very good coach at Nebraska. I mean, obviously not Tom Osborne level or anything like that, but they let Frank Solich go because they weren't happy with how he was doing. I'm trying to find his official records right here but it's not yeah. as bad as what's going no, okay, on no here, i got yeah. him i got him so at nebraska frank solich nine and four 12 and one 10 and two 11 and two seven and seven which is probably the weirdest combination for 14 games i've ever seen seven and seven you don't usually get that and then nine and three and they let him go after that nine and three season nice then they hired, and they had somebody else i guess at some point and then they eventually fired bo Pelini because he kept going eight and four they it, you know, they were only winning eight games. And now they can't even win six. Attaboy, Nebraska. Attaboy to let they, a coach go after They keep firing successful coaches because they're not on the level that they were in the 90s. And to be fair, they fired Bo Pelini because he went 4-8. and eight, But uh, it, the, it, it hit rock bottom. Scott Frost hasn't just been 4-8 and eight every year. Yeah, yeah. So, sounds like a familiar school, you know, in terms of letting coaches go after having pretty good years, but just not up to the level of their competition. Don't put that evil on me, Ricky Bobby. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just saying. I know what you're I'm implying. Just, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Do not say that Hubbard is in the same boat as Nebraska. Not oh, yet. No, yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> hey, let's hold off on that for a second. They fired Bobolini after 2017's four and eight season. Scott Frost's first year was a 2018, where he has since gone four and eight, five and seven, three and five. Mike mm-hmm. Riley followed. Bo Pelini at Nebraska. I think that's right. Was Mike you Riley. are right. That is right. My bad. Man, they really didn't give him a lot of time either. They didn't give him a lot of time. So yes, that's going on with Nebraska right now. That program has fallen from grace. And actually, Bo Pelini never won less than nine games at Nebraska. That bothers me a little bit now. That bothers me. <laughs> never once won less than nine games, but he did lose four games every single year. So look at how far Bo Pelini's fallen because of the travesty that was the LSU defense last year. Now he's no longer with the Bayou Bengals. Nebraska, man. Bad luck. Is he coaching anywhere right now? Or is he, he, he just out of the game? Sting, get on that for us. Let us know. I think he, yeah, I think he, according to his Wikipedia page, he's out. But 
Wikipedia is not the most accurate, but still. I don't know. It's, it's, it's pretty. Current, it's pretty good yeah, for quick reference. Yeah, Same I would thing. say that he's he's probably out right now. All right, moving on to the MLB. The Atlanta Braves add to their winning streak with that 2-0 victory over the Miami Marlins last night. They're up to five games now, two-and-a-half-game lead in the NL East. Sting, when you left us several months ago, you were reveling in Atlanta's failures. Now you must watch them on their Phoenix-like ascent to the top of the National League East. It's excellent. And they're doing everything that they need to do. Will Smith, another save. That's like two in a row. I think he's up to 26 on the season. Braves are doing everything they need to do. Now, it gets extremely difficult at the end of the month. But what is great for the Atlanta Braves, and Lance, I know you've touched on this a lot, what's great for the Atlanta Braves at this moment is they are beating the bad teams and their opponents in the NL East with the Phillies and the Mets, who the Mets now are below 500. They're 59 and 60 overall now and sitting at like four and a half or five and a half games out of first. They're on a slide. The Phillies and the Mets are not beating the good teams. The Phillies lost two out of three to the Dodgers. And then even last night, to the second worst record <laughs> in baseball, the Philadelphia Phillies lose to the Arizona Diamondbacks 3-2. to two. And you look at the Mets as well, they continue to lose to good teams. They're now in a series with the Dodgers. So even when the Braves get to go and play those teams at the end of the month when they have to play the Dodgers, they have to play the Giants, they have to play the Padres, yes, it will get tough. I think you got to love what the Braves are doing right now because their opponents couldn't handle their business against the good teams. And now even you look at the Phillies, and the Phillies are playing abysmal teams, and they can't beat them. And the Braves do have a series with the Diamondbacks coming up before they even go on to take on those really good teams in the NL West. Yeah, and I was looking at the Phillies schedule, and CBS just asked me if I'm a Phillies fan. For some reason, the answer is no. But I'm looking at their schedule. and should they... ask you, are you a Phillies hater or a Phillies fan? Because that's the only reason why you're going to their schedule. Exactly. So they lost to the Diamondbacks, like you said, and then they've got a series against the Padres. they got two games against the Rays, and then they've got four games against the Diamondbacks again. But if they're not able to win this series against the Diamondbacks, I mean, you look at Atlanta and what they're doing right now, they've got the Orioles coming up. It's on the road, but they're playing at the Marlins right now, and they're one game away from sweeping them. So. And the Diamondbacks aren't that far either, I don't think, on the Braves' schedule. Maybe it is somewhere breaking up the the tough games in the NL West where you're playing the Giants and you're playing the Dodgers and whatnot, and the Padres are thrown in there. There's a tough schedule impending on the Braves, but something about the way that the Braves are playing right now gives me a lot of confidence that they'll actually be able to take some. I'm not saying that they have to win every single one of those series, but they can't get swept and they, they, they need to take a series or two in there, but they, they, they don't have to win all of those series. Yeah, so look at their upcoming schedule. They get the Orioles, two games against the Yankees, then a series against the Giants, a series on the road at L.A., and that's a tough stretch of six games. But then you get to play the Rockies four games. Sweet. Then you get to play the Nationals at home, Marlins, Rockies, and you know Atlanta right now is hot. And so if they can just get past that series against the the uh, the Giants and the Dodgers, they can come out of that maybe three and three. Uh, you know they they could be cooking, and they are right now. Did so. you say Swede? Did you mean sweep? Sweep? Or, um, did I mishear that? Did I, I just miss? I, I, hey, I we talked about a Swedish just, tight just, end here in this segment. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> That's sweet. <laughs> Did I misspeak? No, that's sweet. No, did I did I misspeak? Did I, did I misspeak? Are we still or? doing the? Uh... I heard sweep. I don't know what Sting's doing right now. I heard sweep, Dude, but still, Sting was so uh, caught up earlier. He's like, please let this tight end look like an actual Viking. And, and I was disappointed. That he that's didn't. not sweet. That's sweet. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that almost made it onto our list of words that we've mispronounced on the show, and that is not quite there with dramatic 
for Lance that will stand the test of time and has entered my vocabulary on a regular basis. It's also entered mine. You know how in Napoleon Dynamite they say quesadilla? And like I've watched that movie so many times now. That's a pop culture reference. Yeah. Everybody says quesadilla. So, so now I'll just say I say quesadilla instead of quesadilla. It's just like it's just normal. Excuse me? Excuse me? No, don't bring that up. We don't have to talk about that on the show. Last headline here. Sacramento Kings and Davion Mitchell, they put the clamps on the Boston Celtics to win the NBA Summer League. Former Auburn player there. I have to I have to note that. I know he didn't finish at Auburn, but still, look at the ascension of Davion Mitchell. I'm yeah. happy for the guy. And then the clip that came out that was all over social media was uh, last night, Peyton Pritchard was being guarded by Mitchell, and Pritchard just scored 92 points in some kind of uh, pro-am league uh, just a couple of days ago, scored 92 points, and then there was Davion Mitchell putting the clamps on him uh, as, the, uh, as the shot clock expired. Really impressive stuff from Mitchell so far during the Summer League. Wrapping up the NBA Summer League here, let's take this to more of an Auburn perspective. Are those two guys going to be on an NBA roster when the year starts? Because you look across the state, Herb Jones for the Alabama Crimson Tide, the Pelicans shelled out the second largest contract ever for a second-round pick in the NBA draft. I don't, I, I don't know if they're – I think Thor and Cooper will both be in the G League. I genuinely believe that. And it stinks because you look at what Herb Jones did with the Pelicans, and I'm happy for the guy. Go get your bag, man. That, that, that's great for him. I'm not unhappy that he made the team. JT Thor pretty much like doubled up Herb Jones's numbers on like a nightly basis. Yep. Like JT Thor was, with his minutes, he was like a shoe-in for 10 and 9 on, on points and rebounds pretty much every time he stepped out there on the floor. And he was efficient. He was efficient, yeah. It's really sad to see, but I do think that the G League is probably the best thing for both Cooper and Thor to just develop. And Sharif Cooper had an awful game to end the summer league. Yeah. He had like six points on like 3 for 11 shooting or something like that. Still a healthy batch of turnovers, of course. More turnovers than assists this time. That is not the way that you want to end the summer league if you want to make the roster. I'm with you. I think both of them end up in the G League. Which player will be the first to get out? Out, out of the G League between Thor and Cooper, I'm going to say Thor. I'm going to say Thor as well. I don't know if Sharif Cooper is ever going to make it out of the G League. I know that's probably a hot take, and, and Auburn fans don't want to hear that, but I don't know if he's going to get the development that he needs in the G League to make his game more robust to be able to get out. Well, you can't say that he's a bust because he didn't go until late second round. But oh, I, I said robust, right? And I, I'm, no, I'm just, I'm just saying. Oh I, yeah, yeah, just, yeah, yeah. Aside from what you're saying, people can't say that he's a bust, and they can't be like truly sad with this. Even though I, I'd be disappointed if that were the case. But it's not like, you know, he he played like what 10, 12 games in college. I mean, you can only do so much after not having a ton of production you right? just think what could have been with right. Sharif Cooper and, and, and I wasn't even thinking about the 10 to 12 games until you just said that a second ago and that even more tugs at my heartstrings thinking what could have been for Sharif Cooper now with that being said I don't want to make it a foregone conclusion that he's not going to make it out of G League but if Jared Harper's not making it out right now with the way that he's playing Ballin. Sharif Cooper still has a very long ways to go because I'm going to tell you right now Sharif Cooper is not the best former Auburn point guard in the G League at the moment Jared Harper is absolutely and absolutely. I would imagine that he's probably closer to, to cracking into the NBA depending on what organization that he's in he is with, with a rather incompetent organization that feels like it just won an NBA championship because it was a four seed but you know I hope Jared Harper can find his way out because he deserves a legitimate opportunity in the New York Knicks 
will not give it to him. Well, see, here's the thing. Harper was averaging like over 20 a game in the G League. Like and 23? He was shooting really, really well. It's like, how do you not give that kid a chance? He is, he's proven everybody likes to knock on his size. It's like he's proven he has the ability to yeah. score regardless of the fact that he's 5'10", 5'11". You know what was so cool? He had a basketball camp this summer over at Lee Scott Academy. Isn't that so neat? And coming back to the Auburn community, you got to love Jared Harper. He's so nice. Let's take a quick break here. You're listening on the line. Back on on the line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you. Here on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. Fun show so far today. Barry McKnight, play-by-play announcer for the Choice Sports Radio Network, joined us. Coming up in eight minutes, we got Zach Blackerby of the Locked On Auburn podcast on the line with us. Pre-recorded conversation there. He's got a lot of great insights. We go back to talking about those interceptions again. What's the deal with the quarterback position? What's the deal with the offensive line? What's the deal with a lot of things with Auburn football? He'll tell us about it. Locked On Auburn podcast there. Zach Blackerby will be joining us at 3.30. For this segment, though, we're going to do In On The Fence or Out, a weekly Wednesday segment. Basically a rendition of start bench cut, a variation of it, as well as when we did coach coordinator fire. I We need to go back to that. We will go back to coach coordinator fire, though, midseason when we actually have like three candidates. We're like, oh, all of these guys should be fired. Yeah. <laughs> so by midseason, we'll go back to coach coordinator fire. But as we're getting ready for the regular season, in on the fence or out, I go back and I looked at the AP Top 25 poll, and this is probably our last in on the fence or out day. And then we'll go to probably start bench cut, maybe make some fantasy football arrangements out of this but the way it works you got to say you're in on one team on the fence on another or and out on the last one you have to choose one for each of these three teams i don't care if you're in on all of them i don't care if you're out on all of them that's what makes it fun so here we go i like this one i'm gonna start it off with what i think is the toughest one of them all texas coastal carolina lsu i think for me i think who I'm in on is easy. It's Coastal Carolina because they have all those starters coming back. That schedule is so easy. I mean, they, they, they're they not a lock, but they seem like a surefire pick to do well this season, right? And then you look at Texas, and Texas has some question marks simply because they've got a new coach. They've got a new style of offense. Casey Thompson, I, I've been reading reports recently about how Sark is not pleased with his quarterback play and that he's still trying to figure some things out there. The defense is going to be a Big 12 defense. Then you have LSU last season, one of the worst defenses in the country. The question being, can Toronto Jones elevate this unit back to not even just like one of the best units in the country, just like hold hold people under 28 a game. But I, I just, again, I don't know if that's going to happen. LSU's got all the talent in the world. So I think I'm in on Coastal Carolina, and I went back and forth on who I was out on. I'm going to say I'm on the fence on Texas, and I'm out on LSU. I don't know what I was thinking when I said I was in on Texas here and on the fence with Coastal. You eloquently just brought me onto the other side. Coastal Carolina, I would be in on as well. Look, they went 11-1 last year, 11-0 in the regular season, beat BYU in that midseason point last year and trying to get a ranked win. They also beat Louisiana last year, albeit both of those games were close. And so I'm not leaving it out of the realm of possibility here for Coastal Carolina to lose to someone in their regular season. But it's not coming to anyone until after October 16th. They will be 6-0. and And then they've got to go to Appalachian State. They'll host Troy on a Thursday night at Georgia Southern, host Georgia State versus Texas State, and then they're at South Alabama. I could see them losing to Appalachian State. Both of those teams will be coming off of a bye. That's the biggest game in the Sun Belt season. It's Appalachian State versus Coastal Carolina. 
even if they lose that ball game though this is still a top 20 football team top 25 football team when it's all said and done and you're looking at the rankings and honestly I hope they get into a relatively fun bowl game like they did last year I'm okay with them playing a Liberty or somebody like that I want to see them play a good team and actually give them a shot to show how good this Coastal Carolina squad is and just because they go 11-1 just because they may lose to an Appalachian State doesn't mean that they don't deserve respect Appalachian State's a very good football team as well the Sun Belt is loaded yeah absolutely 100% they're just such a talented team and like you said I really want to see them somebody press them this year specifically if they get a really really good bowl berth I want to see a team like a like a top 10 team a power five school play them and I want to see them compete I think they genuinely can because we saw it last year BYU obviously that game they were able to compete in that one would love to see them play a good team not because I'm saying oh they'll get beat but I genuinely think they could hang with somebody like (sighs) random top 10 team a Florida maybe well, speaking of Florida, here's the next trio. Oregon, Wisconsin, Florida. Oregon, Wisconsin, Florida. This one was a little tough for me, but at the end of the day, I think I'm in on Wisconsin, I'm on the fence on Florida, and I am out on Oregon. We agree yet again. Yet again, we agree. The reason that I'm in on Wisconsin, you and I have talked about Wisconsin quite a bit over the last few days. We've been looking at their schedule. We've been looking back what they at what they bring back. We've been looking at what their division brings back, and it all just seems to amount to what we've seen over the past few seasons which is Wisconsin dominates their division they go 11 and 1 10 and 2 type maybe even team. undefeated maybe even undefeated and then they meet Ohio State either in the regular season or in the title game and they get destroyed um they they may not be the most talented team in the country they are talented but that schedule lines up to where they could be sitting 11 and 1 12 and 0 because, man, that schedule is easy. And then you look at Florida, obviously the defense is an issue. I think that they're, again, it's SEC-level talent. I think they'll get back closer to where they've been in the past few seasons. Emory Jones, I think, is going to be just fine. And then Oregon, I just have my concerns about this team. I think there are other teams in the Pac-12 that could potentially overtake them. I'm looking at Washington and their division. Oregon has questions at quarterback. Can Anthony Brown, the transfer from Boston College, be the answer for them? I don't know. So I think there are just too many question marks for me with Oregon. I think we have some answers with Wisconsin and Florida. You know what's funny about Oregon right now? And I agree with you. I think there's a lot more upside with Florida and comparing Florida and Oregon. The reason why I put that trio of teams there, they're all stacked up on each other right outside the top 10 in the AP Top 25 ball. I think Florida may be at 11, Wisconsin. No, Oregon's at 11, Wisconsin's at 12, and Florida's at 13. I believe that's the order that's correct there. There's a lot more optimism for me when I look at Emory Jones and Dan Mullen at Florida versus Mario Cristobal in Oregon. And I'm about to go in on Oregon here because, first of all, when was the last time, and and this is what's funny about Oregon, when was the last time that anyone was like, all right, everybody, it's going to be all right. We've got a Boston College transfer at quarterback. When was the last time that somebody was saying that? it's been a while I don't don't know I don't think that's ever happened yeah I I don't know and Boston College has had some pretty good QBs and they've got one right now that you really like but then you go back to Matt Ryan in the 2000s but Boston College is not the shining beacon of like oh yeah we got that guy from Chestnut Hill Massachusetts this is this about to get real right so I'm not so sold on quarterback play with Anthony Brown he was 15 for 23 last year two touchdowns 164 passing yards this Oregon team was four and three last year also another thing that I want to go in on with Oregon here I keep seeing all these graphics like Fox will put them out I keep seeing all these graphics and 
it'll be like the most elite coaches in college football and like choose which one and Mario Cristobal for some reason is on the same page as Dabo Sweeney and Ryan Day and Nick Saban I'm like get that man out of here he hasn't proven anything yet just because he can run the Pac-12 he's not even doing a great job of that either I don't think they recruit really well they're probably more talented than most of the Pac-12 but I still don't think they even win their own division I like that Washington team a lot we'll be back Zach Blackaby on the other side of this break Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Zach Blackerby here with you on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central, Alabama. Wednesday edition of On the Line. Zach, how you doing today, my man? I'm good. I'm good. It's always an absolute pleasure to be on the line with Noah Gardner and Landstall. Zach Blackerby of the Locked On Auburn podcast here with us today to talk a little fall camp and what's going on. And of course, the discourse throughout the week since the scrimmage on Saturday has been about Bo Nix's two interceptions. It's been about what happened there with the quarterback play, and I've seen different takes out there say that it's not a big deal. I don't think it's a big deal. I'm curious where are you at with the quarterback's play or the rumored quarterback's play out of the scrimmage on Saturday. I don't think it's rumored at this point. I mean, you guys had a caller calling to your show that was there and kind of backed up everything that Lance was saying, so I don't think it's rumored at all. I think... When you look at it, and I'm fine at this point at fall camp with the whole um, miscommunication as far as, you know, you're thinking somebody's running around and it's like, that's that's a mistake where it's like, okay, all right, got it. Because what happened Saturday night totally sounds like it was a stress test for Bo Nix. I mean, they started the scrimmage running four straight play actions, knowing that you had a weak offensive line and a defense that wanted to get after it. I think it was a stress test for Bo Nix. How does he look? when you really, really put pressure on him. And I think based on uh, based on people that were there, and there's been a lot of different reports that have leaked out now, and they're all kind of saying the same thing with the exception of Xavier Dampier. He's the only one that's kind of saying that everybody looks great. But everybody else, you know, players, parents, and all of that are saying, yeah, he's still bailing to his right even when the pocket's clean. And one of those resulted in an interception by Jalen Simpson. So I think to some extent, yeah, I think there is a concern. Now, the other side of this, and you're hearing a lot of folks say, well, it's still early. It's still early. And it's like, well, it may be early in fall camp, but Auburn football plays in less than three weeks. So, like, how early is it? Now, Auburn, from a scheduling standpoint, they've got the first two weeks of the season to get everything right. So, I don't think they're in a hurry. I don't think it's crunch time by any stretch of the imagination. And I also think once the mixing and matching along the offensive front kind of settles down and guys can solidify and you anchor in your first five guys up front – and they can kind of practice in those positions. Because other than Nick Brahms, there's been a lot of movement across the offensive line, whether it's personnel, whether it's positions. Uh, it kind of varies as you go down. But Nick Brahms has really been the only staple on this offensive line at the center position. So I think once that happens, the offensive line is going to get better. It's going to open up more running lanes. And then, of course, it'll have more protection for Bo Nicks. On the other side of the coin, though, and I've heard some people say this, and I tend to agree with this take as well, scrimmages are situational scrimmages are circumstantial they put you in areas of the field it's not like you line up and you play a real football game Mm -hmm. they actually put you in situations and and you're talking about it's a pressure test and maybe they were sticking them you know from what we've heard there was a lot of red zone opportunities where they'd pack you inside the 25 yard line pack you inside the 20 yard line and that's where the field condenses and I wouldn't be shocked if he's rolling to his right naturally because that's what Malzahn typically had him doing a lot of times when he was in the red zone. But I'm curious, what is your stance on that take circumstantially? Is is it really a big deal? 
Uh, yeah, you definitely want to make your, your players uncomfortable. You want to make them as uncomfortable as possible and learn worst-case situations. And you're right. A lot of a lot of the snaps, they, uh, they're on the 25-yard line going in. So not quite the red zone, but pretty dang close to it as far as a condensed field, like you said. Not all of them were from there, but a lot of it was was there. And so, you know, that's that's definitely part of it. But also, like, sure, it's a new offense, but, like, Bo Nix has done this already two times. Like, this whole process of going into fall camp, and one of those, he was competing for a job, so you know the pressure was on him. Last year, sure, it was a little bit different due to, you know, COVID and and all that. Now you've got a real fall camp under your belt. So I would expect that to kind of be more put together at this point. But he's dealing with new receivers. His offensive line still not giving him as much time as he probably needs. Um so, I mean, there's a lot of different factors that go into this. But, I mean, from a ball security standpoint, like, Tank Bigsby fumbling. Like, when is that going to get fixed? He fumbled at A-Day, too, if I remember correctly. And so, that was kind of the weakness of his game as a recruit when um, when, when he was in high school. And that's like, okay, this guy's really, really good. But, like, he'll fumble a few times a year kind of thing. And, you know, we saw that last year. And so, it's like, you want that to get cleaned up as well? I mean, I don't know if that was because they were in the red zone or not. It's just like, oh, I think Tank Bigsby has trouble holding onto the football consistently sometimes. Will that get fixed between now and the start of the season? I think so. I don't think you have to worry about Tank being a liability and turning the ball over when it's all said and done. Sounds like at practice yesterday, they were all focused on holding on to the football. Sounds like that's been a, you know, an accent mark um, for the preparation for the season. So, hopefully they clean all that up. But in regards, like, should Auburn fans be panicking and all that? I don't think so. But the two picks are legitimate. Like, that did happen. Bo Nix is still, when he is uncomfortable, throwing into double coverage. And that's something that he should not be doing at this point in his career. That is that is something I think we can all agree on. Now, how big of a deal is it? I don't know. I don't know. And I think if it happens this Friday, it will be a bigger deal than it did last Saturday. Another question here, too, that we talked about a little bit throughout this week. Touchdown to interception ratio. Bo Nix, 12-7 last year. And, and I don't think that it's a true statement to say that Bo Nix is a turnover-prone quarterback, especially when you look at his numbers throughout his career and you say, oh, well, the guy's averaging well than a lot less than one interception per ball game, right? Seven picks last year in 11 games, not even an interception per ball game. When you look across the conference, you look at Matt Corral, and he's got 14, 15 interceptions in a single season. The difference between the two is, though, the touchdown-to-interception ratio. Matt Corral's throwing 30 touchdowns to those 14 picks, whereas Bo Nix is only throwing 12 touchdowns to those seven picks. So now getting into the scheme and the differences here, you look at Malzahn's offense. It didn't provide its quarterbacks with a lot of opportunities to throw TDs. didn't provide its offenses with a lot of opportunities to throw for 3,000 yards and whatnot. On the flip side, though, and this is something that's not talked about, I don't think it really gave its quarterbacks – an opportunity to throw interceptions. I think there were a lot of safeguards and a lot of protections there with a one-read system that are designed to prevent a quarterback from throwing a lot of interceptions. This scheme, I don't think that there are the same safeguards. This is wide open. You're making your progressions across the field. You are looking from sideline to sideline. Now there's a lot more responsibility on your QBs. Do you think we see an uptick in interceptions from Bo Nix? But on the flip side, does that touchdown to interception ratio improve and he actually impacts the scoreboard a little bit more than he has across his career? I think it's going to improve. Um, and I think a lot of that's going to have to do with the scheme and and uh, play calling and, and, and things like that. I think this team's going to want to run the football. But when they do pass it, I think there's going to be a lot more thought that goes into it as to, you know, and Bobo talked about this a, a few weeks ago uh, about – 
Nick's asking these questions and just kind of their coaching process, their teaching process is, okay, why are we running these routes? Why is this pattern work? And I don't know if that's something that was really communicated with the last regime and talking to receivers that have already gone on to the pros. Like, I don't think that was a conversation that was had. It was just, hey, when we call this play, you're running this route. And so I think there's going to be more football theory, I guess. Uh, You know, people like to throw out football IQ. I think all that's going to be a part of this teaching process. So, yeah, I, I would I would assume that Bo Nix will throw more touchdowns this year, and I, I think his interceptions will stay about the same. I think Bo Nix is going to be fine. I think he's going to be a fine quarterback this year when it's all said and done because I think the team around him is really, really talented. And if this defense is as good and as special as a lot of people are saying right now, I don't think he's going to have to do a whole lot between really good defense and I think two really, really good running backs and an up-and-comer and Jarko as Hunter. I, I think they're going to be okay. He doesn't have to do a lot. Bonix does not have to be a great quarterback for Auburn to be a great team in 2021. And I think that's something that's being overblown a little bit when we talk about this. I, I, I've got a lot of criticism already. Uh, uh, this morning, um, I, I had uh, our friends from the War Report on Locked on Auburn. We talked about, you know, Bo Nix's short leash. And it's like, you know, I think we all can agree that the leash is not as long as it has been with uh, whether it's D. Davis or, or T.J. Finley. I think both of those guys kind of bring different things to the table at the quarterback position for Auburn that Bo Nix cannot bring to the table. And obviously, like, if he struggles on the road at Penn State and at LSU, all of a sudden you look at that Georgia game and it's like, all right, you probably keep him in for that just, you know, for one more attempt but after that it's like if you lose all three of those the fan base is going to want you to make a change do I think Auburn's going to lose all three of those games no I don't but I'm just saying if if um you know talking about Bo Nix worst case scenario here I think you have to but in regards to Bo Nix this season I I do think everything kind of I don't want to say it comes together because I don't think it has and I I don't think something's going to magically change in the next two weeks but he doesn't have to be a great quarterback. He's just got to be serviceable, and Auburn's going to be a really good team. What are your interpretations of the offensive lineup to this point? Because I've talked to different people here. Some people have said the O-line was breaking down, missing blocks all over the place. People were panicked by Brian Harson's comments in the press conference when he said that they missed a few blocks. I took a lot of positives, actually, from his comments about the offensive line play. I was like, that doesn't sound that bad. That actually sounds rather positive, that he's just a critical coach. What is your takeaway from the offensive line play after the first scrimmage? Talking with folks that were at the scrimmage, it sounds like it was a liability. It sounds like the offensive line unit was a liability in the ones and the twos. And I think when you look at the why, and I agree with you, this is positive. They just didn't block some dudes. And people listening are like, well, that's a big deal. It's like, yes, but they're not getting beat. They just didn't block dudes. It's much easier to learn who you need to block and communication along the offensive front. It's a miscommunication issue. Yeah, it's different when you just get beat. They just didn't do it. And And why might that be? Because of cross-training and rotation around the offensive line. Totally, totally. I mean, even yesterday, yesterday's starting offensive line from left to right was a new combination that we hadn't seen before. Drops at left tackle, Brandon Council at left guard. He's typically been at right guard. At center, Nick Brahms. He's been the constant in all of this. Right guard, Keandre Jones, a name that we haven't heard as much over fall. Apparently, he's been banged up a little bit. Looks like he's back. That's good. Uh, of course, he's the one who came in to relief Council after Council got injured last year. Then a right tackle. Been pretty consistently uh, Bordarius Ham, but yesterday was Brendan Coffey. And so it's like we're still kind of getting that mixing and matching along the offensive front, and I'm right there with you. 
I think once these guys get three or four practices in a row next to each other, I think you're going to see them take a big step forward. But this coaching staff knows what it's doing. Um, Will Friend is, uh, you know, keeping all these guys under a microscope, making sure that he really knows what these guys are doing, what their strengths and weaknesses are. But offensive line is such an interesting thing because I think you can look at other position groups and say it's about individual players. The offensive line is not that way. You can go out and get five five stars. We saw it at Tennessee last year, uh, four and five star guys. And if it doesn't click, if you don't gel as a unit, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if the left tackle is constantly, you know, blocking the defensive end or down blocking the three technique or whatever it may be. They all have to do it and they all have to be on the same page. And I'm sure they're just trying to figure out their talent and their, you know, cohesion. But uh, eventually they're going to get their solid five guys. Sounds like it's going to happen after uh, Friday night's practice. And then once they do that, we'll, um, we will see. We'll, tell you, we'll see if they take a big step forward or not. A week or two ago, Shadow mentioned Will Friend and wondered if he was going to be more of a recruiter or more of a developer. What, what type of coach were we getting at Will Friend? And you just brought up that Tennessee offensive line that never clicked. Their offensive line coach was Will Friend. Yeah. Does that concern you at all? I or? said this after Auburn hired Will Friend. I, I think this was the biggest question about this, recruiting, uh, about this coaching staff. I like Will Friend as a recruiter, and I mean Auburn really needs some high quality, you know, talent coming out of high school to play offensive line at the t- for, uh, for the Tigers. I think that he's a better recruiter than he is a developer. Um, I'd have, I think you would have a hard time proving otherwise, honestly, at this point. But that doesn't mean he can't develop. He, I just, I don't think you saw it last year at Tennessee, and he had some really, really talented dudes. On the flip side with the offensive line, Brian Harson said they were able to move the football. They were able to run the football. Yeah. Running game doesn't look like it's going to be an issue. Yeah, I mean, this is going to be a run-first team. And Tank Bigsby and Sean Shivers apparently made some really, really impactful plays in the scrimmage. I mean, it sounds like there were dudes all over them. They're making guys miss in the backfield and making something out of nothing consistently. And that's something that that Auburn fans should be excited about. Shivers scored from like one yard out, which is uh, which is cool, I think. Uh, Jordan Ingram scored like a 20-yard touchdown run, something like that, if I remember that note correctly. So a lot of things to like about the running back room. And it's funny because that was a room that we had a lot of questions about. Like, is there enough depth? And all of a sudden it's like, yeah, I think there is. I think there is enough depth of the running back room. So the the running back situation in Auburn is a very, very good one. See, and, and when you talk about how the running back showed out, and then there was even a couple of moments where I, I've heard, and, and you, you've mentioned this to me as well, Bo Nix, throwing a touchdown and doing a couple of positive things as well. I kind of wonder, and, and sure, the offensive line probably was or definitely was a liability at times during the scrimmage, but I kind of wonder if even that may be getting overblown a little bit, even more, even that tacked on to the quarterback play as well. I kind of wonder if that's getting overblown a little bit because what's going to stick out in people's minds, especially when you're talking about O-line, is the negative things. You and I have said this many times before, I don't want people talking about my offensive line, right? So, like, when good things, when an offensive line does good things, they don't say, oh, yeah, I was a really good block right there. You know, they just don't talk about it. They say that was a really good run. I just have a hard time believing that Tank Bixby and Sean Shivers, not that they're not this good. They are this good. I just have a hard time believing because it's never like this in anything. I have a hard time believing they were acting like a bunch of Terminators in the backfield, just, like, annihilating people <laughs> left and right sure. and throwing people off their back and running for 20-yard 20, 20 touchdowns, even, even all the way down the depth chart to Jordan Ingram. Not that those guys aren't good, but Brian Harson said something really interesting in his press conference when he was talking about the offensive line, and he was talking about improvement, and it was towards the tail end of his comments about that. He said, look, I tell these guys, it's never as good as you think, 
It's never as bad as you think either. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's very true with, with the way that people should be evaluating this first scrimmage. I, I think it may be overblown in some people's minds as bystanders watching some negative things happen. Positive things may be overblown as well. Maybe so. Maybe so. I think, um, I think when you look at who was at the scrimmage, like who was watching and where all these leaks are coming from, they're coming from players' parents. That's that's where the bulk of these leaks are coming out, or former players. And these are people that have been around football, specifically been around Auburn, and these parents have been around football their whole life watching their kids play. So they've got a pretty good understanding of what's happening, for the most part. And, and you know, some of it may be, you know, a receiver parent frustrated that Bo Nix can't get their kid the ball. Like that, There are certainly, certainly things that could happen in regards to that, but... Like I said, you know, there's a very popular Auburn Facebook group that Xavier Dampier posted in after the scrimmage on Saturday night saying, like, how great everyone looked or, you know, it's so close to all clicking and all that. And, hey, maybe he's right. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, he knows he knows football way better than I do. But as a general rule, all the reports coming out are pretty in unison, which I think says something. Zach, I appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today. Tell everybody where they can find all your great content. Sure, sure. Locked on Auburn is now on YouTube, so that's been pretty cool. Seeing folks um, hop over and subscribe to there, like and subscribe on all those videos. would really appreciate it. Locked on Auburn, of course, the podcast. Um, nothing has changed there. It drops every morning at 3 in the morning, so it's there whenever you wake up. And, uh, yeah, you can follow me on social media at ZBlackerby on Twitter. I appreciate it, my man. I hope you have a good rest of your week. Hey, you too, brother. Wrapping up the Tuesday, Wednesday, I don't know, I went a day backwards. Wrapping up the Wednesday edition of On the Line, Noah Garner and Lance Gall with you here on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Big thank you there to Zach Blackaby of the Locked on Auburn podcast for joining us to talk a little Auburn football with us as well as Barry McKnight about an hour ago uh, already. An hour ago, this show has flown by. We had Barry McKnight of the Troy Sports Radio Network talking a little Troy Trojans football as well as giving us the lowdown on Cornelius Williams and Auburn's wide receiver coach. A lot of great insights there. If you missed any of today's show, go and find the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. Let's take a listen to what's on TV tonight. Network programming, you got a game show lineup on ABC starting at 7 with Press Your Luck. Following it at 8, it's the $100,000 Pyramid. Results of the second quarter finals on America's Got Talent is on NBC at 7. Fox's evening lineup starts at 7 with Master Chef. Following it at 8, prepare for a particularly shocking episode of Beat Shazam. New episode of Guy's Grocery Games is on Food Network at 8 as well. Some movie selections for tonight head back to the 90s with Lindsay Lohan starring in The Parrot Trap on Freeform at 6. As if bringing back dinosaurs wasn't a bad idea, let's build an amusement park around them. Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom is on FX at 6. This one's for you guys. Ask Dom Toretto and he may tell you that nothing is stronger than family. I love those memes. They are absolutely hilarious. Fast and the Furious is on Sci-Fi at 6. Live Sports Major League Baseball is on ESPN at 6 with the Boston Red Sox at the New York Yankees. Also, ESPN's Fantasy Football Draft on tonight at ESPN 2. I don't know if I take a ton of stock in what ESPN tries to tell me about who I should pick in fantasy football, but if you're doing your fantasy football draft, you got some stuff there once again on ESPN 2 at 6. Let's head to our phone lines now, 334-321-1390. We got about a minute left in the show here. Spectre, how you doing? You got us right here right before we get out. 
Yeah, okay. Well, it won't take long. What's on tonight is not the College Bowl. It was on last night. That's right. And how did it go? USC beat UCLA, so USC will be playing Alabama, and Auburn will be playing Columbia. So I imagine uh, Auburn and Columbia will be next Tuesday. And uh, I'll make sure I keep up with that. That's on NBC, correct? Correct. Right after 8, America's Got Talent. Sounds good. I'll make sure I keep up with that. Appreciate it, Spectre. See you. That was Spectre on the line with us right here before we get out of here. The college football playoff we all want. Auburn, Alabama, USC, and Columbia. And like I said, I believe it was last week, let's throw the Citadel in there as well because uh, they've been proven to to hang with the big boys in the past. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that one half with Alabama. (laughs) There you go. That one half with Alabama. Sure. Yeah, there are probably guys out there that are telling their kids 20 years from now, you know, I played on a football team that was tied with Alabama at halftime. <laughs> that is right. They were tied at halftime, correct? I, th- I think they were. Yeah. Either that or it was 10 nothing. It was really close. Or like only down like, yeah, by three or 10 or something like that. That's it for the Wednesday edition of On the Line. Drive with Bill Cameron following us. We'll see you tomorrow. Same time, same place. You know where to find us.